Great. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam, Asher Kitshan Vumitzvotav, Vitzivanu La Asok Bidivre Torah. Blessed are you, source of life, our God, who makes us holy through your mitzvot. It's given us the mitzvah of engaging in words of Torah. We have now, as we continue on the annual cycle, reached the end of the book of Exodus. And the Torah portions are a double portion this week. Vayakel and Pikudei, the last six chapters of the book of Exodus. And just for those unfamiliar, the reason it's a double portion is because the Jewish year is a lunar solar year. And so occasionally we add a leap month to the lunar year so that it catches up with the solar year. And uh, that's why we need, and during a leap year where we had a whole month of Shabbat, we need extra Torah portions. So these Torah portions are bunched together during non-leap years so that we can break them out during leap years so that there's a Torah reading for every week during a leap year. Next year, next year will be a leap year, starting in that next Rosh Hashanah. So Ve'akel and Pekudei are um, uh, the, the the golden calf debacle was last week, last portion. And now that um, uh, the relationship has between God and the children of Israel has been sufficiently restored with the second tablets um, and the renewal of the covenant, now comes the business, the activity, the work of building a dwelling place for God in their midst. And uh, that was the initial instruction back in chapter 25 when uh, Moses goes up the mountain in Parshat Truma and uh, God says to Moses, have the people give gifts to the sanctuary, all whose heart moves them and make me a mishkan, make me a dwelling place that I might dwell within you. Uh, and then um, now's the time to actually make it. And the book of Exodus ends on a real completed note because at the very end in chapter 40, Moses erects the Mishkan, the presence of God descends upon it and fills it. And therefore, the, the children of Israel are, are reunited with the divine presence. Um, I've taught these portions a lot, and this, will be, this, this material will be familiar to some of you, but I always come back to the same, uh, for me, rather amazing literary um, um, uh, 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 qualities and construction of the books that reinforce the whole thrust and the whole theme of the Torah, which is how do humans make a dwelling place for God in our midst? Um, and so 
some of these things that I'll say will be familiar to some of you. And I'm going to take a deep, sort of a, a deep dive into the structure of the language and how it reflects that. Um, and again, I'm going to thank Rabbi Jonathan Sachs's erudite commentary for appointing me in certain directions. And excuse me, springtime, the office is actually warm. There. See, I have my work clothes on. I've been wearing them for 12 months now. Um, okay, so I'm gonna be ranging all over the place here. I don't know how much I'll be able to squeeze into this hour, but I do su suspect and hope that uh, you'll get a picture of the, um, to the casual reader, the unseen deep structure of the Torah that, that, uh, make, that draws our attention in ways that may even be subliminal to the themes that the Torah wants us to be hearing, the repetition of words and of themes that kind of echo and reverberate through the text. So the first beautiful reverberation is that this Torah portion is called Vayakhel, which means, and Moses assembled. So the word kahal, kuf he lamed, means a community. A kehilah is a congregation. We're a kehilat lev shalem, the congregation of the full heart. So let me share the text with you. Vayakhel Moshe et kol adat b'nei Yisrael. And Moses assembled, kahal. Now, that's an interesting word. It doesn't come up much. We don't hear that word very often in the Torah for Moses speaking to the children of Israel. It turns out um, that in, um, hold on, let me find the citation. Like I said, I've got a lot of stickies in my Tanakh today. Um, ah, yes, chapter 32. In last week's portion, and I'm going to, um, oh, I see, this is a little challenging. Hold on. Uh, okay, I'm just going to read it to you. In last week's portion, it says, at the beginning of the Golden Calf episode, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, vayikahel ha'am alaharon. They gathered, same word, unusual word, they gathered themselves against Aaron. Um, and so there's some kind of, there's, in Torah, we, I'm, it's, I'm absolutely persuaded now that that choice of words is intentionally supposed to, Moses is doing now something to repair the previous Yikahel, where the people gathered themselves against Aaron um, and then produced the golden calf. He is now gathering them, in, convoked the whole Israelite community in order to now create the Mishkan. So just as the first Yikahel three chapters ago 
uh, marks the moment of the dissolution of the covenantal relationship between the people and God. Moses now uses the same word to or to restore, litaken, to repair, to rebuild that relationship with the Creator, because the children of Israel, God wants them to be in this sacred relationship with Him, and so just that word vayikahel and vayikahel and vayikahel jump out of the text when you do a very close reading. Now, um, in addition, here in chapter uh, 35, the very next thing that gets mentioned, on six days work may be done, but on the seventh you shall have a Shabbat of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Okay, we don't have to uh, dive into that. It's like, it's the death of something, clearly. If this pattern of six days of work and the seventh day of rest is not um, followed in the holy work of creating a dwelling place for God. Uh, back in chapter 35, back in chapter 32, Uh, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, back in chapter uh, 32 in, in the Golden Cat episode, just previous to where it says, and the people, yikahel. Here, let me go to chapter 32. Oh, I see what I have to do. There we go. Now I can manipulate the text. Here's the word, vayikahel, the people gathered against Aaron. Well, what happens right before then? Six days may work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Okay, exact same sentence. So none of this you recognize is accidental, but rather the work of a literary poet who wants you to hear it again. And so these are the resonances and the rep repetitions, which when I was a child were boring repetitions. Come on, let's get on with the story. I was like, it was like boring. Um, that now that I understand <laughs> how to look at literary structure and poetic structure becomes interesting to me. Um, the, um, uh, so right before the golden calf episode, Shabbat is invoked. And then listen to this language. By Yitena Moshe, then God gave, so, and there and there's the Shamru, right? The Israelite people shall keep the Sabbath, observing it throughout the ages as a covenant for all times. The Sabbath is the symbol of our sacred relationship with creation itself. If we do not observe this sacred cycle, the whole Torah, 
bases the sacred relationship on the number seven. Why? I don't know. There's lots of wonderful speculations about why this number seven becomes the organizing principle of the covenantal relationship we have with God. But I don't know why, but it is. Um, and uh, so it shall be a sign for all time. This is Bishamru, everybody, those who know it. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, God ceased from work. Uh, and then when God finished speaking with Ramat Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the pact. Okay, and is an important word. It means to finish or complete because it's going to come up a lot. And God completed the work of making heaven and earth. So this is also an echo, which I'll get to in a little bit. Let me. There we go. Okay. Um, so Shabbat is invoked. And then um, uh, this word vayakel, but in reverse order, right? Um, and that's a typical uh, biblical structure. A, B, B, A. That's often, often, so often how it gets structured. So now let me go back to chapter um, Oh, one more thing I wanted to show you. Um, in, so, oh, right. Right before Shabbat, we learn about B'Tzalel. See, I have singled out by name B'Tzalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have endowed him with a divine spirit of skill, ability, and knowledge in every kind of craft. So way back in chapter 31, we hear about B'Tzalel. And then I think, why are we hearing about B'Tzalel now? Because where B'Tzalel becomes really important is in chapter 35. It says, and Moses, Kahal, by Akhel, the children of Israel, and told them, six days may you work. And then says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take from among you gifts to the Lord. Truma. Truma. Truma is a beautiful word, everyone, by the way, because it comes from the verb leharim. Anyone go to camp or day school? Larimatayad? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Um, Romamu, Romamu, lift up. So a truma, which is understood to be a gift, something you, and a, 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 but it comes from the root, something you raise up, which is just a beautiful word. You raise it up before God. I really like that word. And then, here are the different kinds 
Yes, Aviva Zornborg talked at length about observing Sabbath together with the building of the tabernacle. And um, uh, Aviva Zornberg's talking about it because the Talmud spends 200 pages talking about it. So Aviva Zornberg and you and I are going right into the heart of uh, exegesis on the Torah going back thousands of years. Um, these descriptions of the gifts are a repetition of the original descriptions of the gifts. And then it says, um, sorry, let me just get to the verse. Oh yes, here it is. After description of all the things that are to be brought, it says, and Moses said to the Israelites, see the Lord is singled out by name Bitzalel, son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. He has endowed him with a divine spirit of skill, ability and knowledge in every kind of craft. And so he's gonna be the main craftsman. So my, the reason I'm showing that to you, and if I'd had more time to prepare today, I would have created a whole like sheet so you could see it. And I apologize for that actually, um, is that you see the ABC CBA structure, which tells you that the golden calf episode is supposed to be connected to this building of the Mishkan episode. What was deconstructed by the Israelites in the golden calf episode is now being reconstructed. And the language supports all of that. Moses, through his incredible uh, efforts, has spent most of Kitisa making, convincing God not to abandon or destroy the children of Israel, persuading the children of Israel to hang in there and bringing them back together again so that this tenuous work of a, making a community in which God's presence can dwell can be fulfilled. And certainly at the end of the book of Exodus, when the Shekhinah comes down and rests upon the children of Israel, we have a beautiful conclusion of the book of Exodus, which is when we begin the book of Exodus, as you recall, the children of Israel are enslaved and they cry out to God and God remembers, it says. And this, the action of ex, the book of Exodus is set into motion through the slaves crying out. And here, at the end of a very eventful novel, right? My goodness, think about all the action in the book of Exodus. Um, here at the very end, there is a moment that is a happy ending, a conclusion. Exodus becomes a literary union. I'm, uh, I, I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. Um, however, in addition to that, and as we've taught in other years, Genesis and Exodus create a literary unit, uh, an arc of story. And this is where the language becomes really cool, really involved. 
Uh, so for example, let's look at sevens for a moment. If you think here, I'll stop sharing the screen for a minute. When you look at Genesis chapter one, if you'll, it's filled with, it's, it, it establishes the template of seven as the number to look out for that will tell you that you are aligned with the nature of creation, with God's work, with God, God's self. The world is created in seven days, six days of labor by God, and on the seventh day, rest. But those nudniks like myself who, who like to count words and letters, um, the, the sevens are everywhere. So as some of you might know, the word good, and God looked at what God has made and behold, it was good, appears seven times in chapter one in the creation story at the beginning of Genesis. Uh, and then, of course, the seventh time, it says, very good. That's the seventh one. The first sentence of the book of, of, of the Torah, Breshit bara Elohim et hashamayim be'et ha'aretz, has seven words. The second verse has 14 words. Uh, the word aretz, earth, appears in that chapter 21 times. The word Elohim appears in that chapter 35 times. Um, and the final three verses, and the work of heaven and earth was completed, has 35 words, and so on. I don't believe it's an accident. I think that's ridiculous at this point. This is a holy text that scribes and um, uh, uh, interpreters labored over for who knows how long. And the patterns in it are there to call to us. If you're looking for sevens, you're looking in the right direction. So it turns out that frequently in the Torah, the, the key word of a passage will be repeated seven times. And if you read the passage and you look at the keyword frequently, it'll be there seven times. Um, so when we look at uh, our portion of this week, for example, I'm actually going to share the screen again. In this passage of chapter 35, let me get back to the beginning of it. There we go. This is our week's portion. It begins with Moses gathered the people. Then it describes the prohibition against working on Shabbat, which makes it clear that if you're going to do this holy work, then you must follow the template that God followed during the creative process and not work ceaselessly, but paused every seventh day or month or year and reflect on 
what you have been doing. Appreciate it. Enjoy it. Step back from your canvas. Take a sabbatical. That's where the word comes from. And then here are the sevens. The word is lev, heart. And it starts here. Who made him to Malaranai, Kol Nadiv Libo? Everyone whose heart so moves him. Okay, now in this next passage, the word heart is going to be repeated seven times. Interestingly, it's going to be repeated with different adjectives. Is that the right word? Uh, uh, Nadiv Lev. Anyway, yeah, different descriptives. Nadiv Libo means generous of heart. Heart so moves him. Linadev is to volunteer in modern Hebrew. It's voluntary. It's from your heart. And then it says in verse, and here are all the things to bring. And then it says in verse 10, Bechol Chacham Lev. And let all among you who are skilled, but those who know Hebrew know that chacham lev means wise of heart. So we've got generous of heart, wise of heart, and then here are the things that are to be made. And then it says, and let all who are nisao libo. Um, there's Lev again. Now, again, our translator, unfortunately, this is one of the times when I think the, um, the Jewish Publication Society translate, translator just misses the crucial poetry of the Hebrew. Because, yes, Nesaoli Bo um, excelled in ability. What does Laset mean? It means to uplift. Everyone whose heart is uplifted. Okay, so we have those three adjectives. Generous of heart, wise of heart, uplifted of heart. And then, here's the fourth one. Oh, and uh, then Nadvarucho, whose spirit is generous. And so those are the three. Nadiv, Chacham, Nasa. And then we look at verse 22. And he calls the men and the women now. Specifically. All whose hearts moved them. Nadiv. Then in 25. Bechol isha chokhmat lev. And all the skilled women. All the women who are wise of heart. And then in the next verse. Bechol hanashim asher nasa liban. Those who know Hebrew. We're in the feminine now. And all the women whose hearts were uplifted. So very interestingly, we have three levs pertaining to the men, Nadiv Lev, Chacham Lev, and, Nas, and then Nas Ulipo. And now we have three specifically to the women, Nadiv Lev, Chochmat Lev, and Nasal Liban. That's six. And then there's the coda. Kol Ish Ve'isha Asher Nadav Liban every man and woman whose heart moved them. 
And that's the end of that literary package because now we go right into the description of B'Tzalah. Okay, I'm gonna stop sharing in a second, see you again. I, I hope you're finding this as cool as I'm finding it. It's like sometimes a really close reading of Torah like this, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, validates our intuitions about say what it takes to build a house for God. But not only validates that, it's all inclusive. It's specifically all inclusive in this case, which is rather unusual in the Torah to include men and women by, by gender so specifically. It's seven times of hearts being uplifted, generous. It's ABC, ABC, and then, you know, and then, so it's Nadav Chacham Nasa, Nadav Chochmat Nasa, Nadav. So number seven is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I really like that. Um, Roni says, do you think, Rabbi, it is your analysis in careful literary criticism and reading, or have others validated this seven repeat of heart's condition? Oh, no, 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 I'm not, this is not my, I'm not a genius. Uh, I'm getting this from other sources. Uh, but I went ahead and then when, it, when they said, oh, by the way, this is repeated seven times, I said, oh, I gotta look. And then what I'll take credit for is that none of the readers I read noticed the alternating pattern of adjectives, which just strengthens the case. So I saw that. Okay. Um, so um, I'm not gonna get to all my, all my uh, uh, excitement, exciting um, uh, uh, insights today, but um, so there's the seven. It takes hearts that are uplifted, wise and generous from everyone in seven times in order to build the sanctuary. Um, there are other places where we have seven repeats and I won't go into them in as close detail. In this next section, um, oh, okay, yeah, there's another seven. Uh, the word truma is repeated seven times, offering in another section. But I think we should get into chapter 39 and 40 because uh, that's where the sevens really reach their pitch. And uh, let me share the screen again. Let me go to chapter 39. And here's the phrase. Now, uh, of the blue, purple, and crimson yarns, they also made the service vestments for officiating the sanctuary, and they made Aaron's sacral vestments, as the Lord had commanded Moses. This translation uses Lord. Um, ah, let me read Paul's comment. Zorn, uh, Zornberg refers to the prohibition of use of fire on Sabbath as it pertains to fires within the heart, individual flames of ego 
during the week that don't slow on Sabbath. Instead, during rest of Sabbath can allow full divine heart to be expressed. He also is the example, also example of the, of the result of this process. Well said. Okay, so what the Mishkan is, is a microcosm of creation. When we watched uh, Rabbi um, uh, from the Aleph Beta program, David Foreman's beautiful cartoon a few weeks ago, we saw how just as God made a house for us, we live in God's house. We live in God's house. We have to make a dwelling place for God. And that is the definition of a microcosm. The Mishkan is a symbolic microcosm. It's intended that way. And the Mishkan represents not only the cosmos, but the expanse, the, the sort of infinities within our own hearts. And so when, for instance, when Aaron consecrates God's altar um, in uh, a few weeks from now, the, Aaron brings fire, but a fire comes down from heaven and consumes the offering. That's God's fire. So if we keep bringing our fire all seven days of the week, we're not going to make any space for this divine experience on Shabbat where we remember where all of our fire comes from. Uh, that's what we're getting to. Um, yes, and B'Tzalel is an example of the expression of divine heart. And as I've taught, and you can read about in my book, B'Tzalel's name means B'Tzel El, in the image of God. So Betzalel isn't a guy who happens to, whose parents like the name, right? Betzalel is the um, archetypal human who manifests and realizes the divine potential within them. Betzalel has been uh, inspired with divine wisdom, grace, and knowledge, and that's, that means B'Tzalel fulfills B'Tzalel's name as being made in God's image. So in this section, thanks for mentioning that, Paul. Everything that we're saying needs to be understood metaphorically. This is a metaphorical house for God. And we make it in ourselves, in our communities, in our homes. Well, that's how we do it. Um, so in this chapter, Aaron's vestments, all the getup that Aaron wears is created by B'Tzalel. And each, after each section, it says, as the Lord had commanded Moses, Ka'asher tziva Adonai et Moshe. Here's the next one. They make the, uh, the next, the ephod, Ka'asher tziva Adonai et Moshe. They make the, sake, the precious stones, Ka'asher Tziva Arunai et Moshe. Here are all the names of the, sacred, of the precious stones that he wears on his chest. And so that's a long section. And they made it, Ka'asher Tziva Arunai et Moshe, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And sure enough, they make the, the robe, Ka'asher Tziva Adonai Moshe. They make the tunic, Ka'asher Tziva Adonai et Moshe. 
They make the headpiece, Ka'asher Tziva Ronayat Moshe. And then it says, and that's the seven. And then it says, Vatechel Kol Avodat Mishkan, Ohel Moseh, Moed, Vayasu Bnei Yisrael, Kechol Asher Tziva Ronayat Moshe, Kain Asu. Okay, now let's remember the language of the Kiddush in Genesis chapter one. I'm going to go to it. Let's see, how do I get out of here? Ah. What an amazing tool. And what did we just read in the Hebrew? Let me just read it to you rather than keep switching the screen. Vatechel kol avodat mishkan. On the seventh day, God finished the work that God had been doing. He ceased on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So that word, asu, asher asa, they did, kein asu, it was done. And God does it, not according to God's own plan and word. We also do it in this chapter 39, according to God's word. And then it says in verse 43, Vayar Moshe et kol hamelacha vehine asu ota kasher tzivarunai kein asu vayvarech otam Moshe. And when Moses saw that they had performed all the tasks as the Lord had commanded, so they had done, Moses blessed them. Now, I hear two resonances in this. And again, I thank Rabbi Jonathan Sachs for pointing me in this direction. Moses has reconnected the people with God. Has successfully, they've successfully accomplished it. And so now Moses blesses them. After what Moses did to them a few chapters ago, if you're going to make, if you're going to punish them by grinding up the golden calf and making them drink it, then when they do something right, you better bless them. That was just one thing. But I want to go all the way back to chapter one of Genesis. Um, because those who know the Kiddush, if you grew up with it, you'll know this language. Vayar, and Moses saw, and Moses saw, let's go back to chapter one. Ah, oh, it left me in the right place. 
Vayar Elohim et kol asher asa. And God saw everything that God had made. Behine tov ma'od, and it was very good. Vayivarech Elohim et yom hashvi'i. And God blessed the seventh day. Kivo Shabbat mikomalachto asher bara Elohim la'asa. So Moses surveys the work of the Israelites and behold, it is very good. Why? Because it's in the way God, it was in the blueprint that God, as it were, had given them. And God and Moses blesses the people. Paul says, if God finished on the seventh day, does that mean he did some work on the seventh day? That question gets asked all the time, Paul. Um, and that's why there's also a midrash about how on the on twilight, on the eve of Shabbat, right before Shabbos came, God made ten thing, miraculous things: the mouth of the ass that talked to you know. So yeah, have some fun with that. Um, okay, so God blesses Shabbat, Moses blesses the people, and. Um, there's one more blessing I want to show you here. And God created the Adam in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And God blessed them and said, be fertile and multiply. Okay, so there's that resonance. And now there's one more that I wanna share with you, which is that, so we had seven repetitions of doing it exactly as God said, and then we get to chapter 40. And in chapter 40, where's my notes? Ah. Uh, the phrase that gets repeated seven times because now it's time for Moses to set up the dwelling place for God. On the first day of the month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and bring everything in and place it there, etc., etc. Dress Aaron in the sacral vestments, wash them with the water, anoint them, get it all ready. And then it says, Bayas Moshe Oto Kain Asa. This Moses did just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And here we go. He spread the tent over the tabernacle, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moshe. He brought the ark inside the tabernacle, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He lit the lamps, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He placed the altar of gold, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put up the screen, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he washed Aaron's hands and feet, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
and he set up the enclosure and put up the screen by Yechal Moshe et Amlacha. And now we are, that was seven times. And now we are at the end of the book of Exodus. And what is the word we hear? By Yechal Elohim Bayom Hashvi'i et Kol Melachto Asherasa. And God completed on the seventh day the work that God had done. By Yechal Moshe et Hamlacha. And Moses completed the work and the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the presence of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the presence of the Lord filled the Mishkan. And when the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on their various journeys. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until such time as it did lift. For over the tabernacle, a cloud of the Lord rested by day and fire would appear in it by night. In the view, in the eyes of all of the children, house of Israel, throughout their journeys. It's so beautiful ending, the reunion. Chazak, chazak, that's what we say when we finish a book. Be strong, be strong, and we'll strengthen each other. So the arc of the beginning, chapter one of Genesis, somehow has now been fulfilled. We haven't come for a full circle, because history does not go in a cycle in the Torah. It moves forward. But what we have done is the sacred creation that God builds around the idea of six days of labor and a seventh of rest, a world that is blessed, a world that is very good, a world in which humans can dwell and are blessed, has to be recreated by we humans, that's what in the Torah's eyes, the Israel has been chosen for, to make a dwelling place for God by entering into this sacred relationship with the cosmos, um, to be God's partner. Now, I, I'm so glad I have a few more minutes because I wanna share with you. Oh, Karen said, this reminds me of one of those Passover table songs. Indeed, because I think this was an oral tradition. I picture myself sitting with the master storyteller and as a child learning that phrase, kasher I could pick kasher tzivadonayat Moshe. I can picture the storyteller pausing and gesturing to us the phrase. Do you know what I mean? It's like, hear it, hear it. And we're hearing a seven. We do it seven times because seven is where it's at. That's how we do it. Um, a nation of priests, that's the goal. A nation of priests that can create a dwelling place and serve the creator. And so the language of the Torah simply recapitulate creation over and over again as we, re as we hear about this completion of this dwelling place for God. Now there's a phrase that comes from the Talmud called being a partner with God, that humanity's task is to be God's partner. And it's a beautiful image, isn't it? We're supposed to be, this is an ancient Jewish metaphor. We're here on this world to be God's partner 
in the act of perfecting creation, in the act of making the world holy, in the act of making the world, just as God made us a world to dwell in, we need to make the world a world that God can dwell in. And so I found the source of that partner in creation phrase, and I just was really, I found it beautiful. I want to share it. Beautiful. Okay, here it is. This is from the Talmud, from Tractate Shabbat. It's the tractate described, it's an, and it's a really long tractate. And uh, uh, I have not studied all of it. But Rava said, and some say it was Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi who said, even an individual who prays on Shabbat evening must recite. In other words, even if you're alone, you have to say the Kiddush. Even if it's just you and a cup of grape juice or wine. And the heavens and the earth were finished. Because Rav Hununa said, anyone who prays on Shabbat evening and recites the passage of Vayachulu, the verse doing so ascribes him credit as if he himself was a partner with the Holy One in the act of creation. That's the origin of the phrase, being partners with God. And it is stated, and now they do a wordplay, and the heaven and earth were finished, Vayachulu. But you could read it not as Vayachulu, but rather as Vayachalu. In other words, we finished. And so, it is considered as though the Holy One and the individual who say this become partners and completed the work together. Shannon, you raised your hand. Would you like to say something? Oh, that was a mistake, sorry. Oh, no problem. So the very idea of being a partner with God as it arises from the rabbinic tradition is in the context of working and resting, acknowledging the fulfillment and the beauty and the completeness of creation along with God. Our recognition of that completeness, essentially, God, God needs us, as it were, to be part of that perception. If we don't stop on Shabbat, stop everything we're doing and contemplate the wholeness and glory of creation, if we don't take that seven and make it the heartbeat of our lives, we're not participating in God's cosmos the way God hoped we would. And so we are partners in creation from that phrase, from that phrase in the Talmud. And then I found another, again, thanks to, um, where did I see this one? Also Rabbi Sachs. I'm having a great time with Rabbi Sachs. Um, I'm gonna read um, Karen's comment. Sunday is the first of Nisan, the first day of the first month, the day that the Mishkan was erected. That's right, it said on the new moon of the first month, and, in, in, and the first month in the Torah means Nisan, the month of springtime. 
was the day that the Mishkan was erected, and that's this Sunday. Thank you. Here's the last piece I want to share with you. Okay, so our passage says that Moses looked at everything that Israelites had made and he blessed them, remember? Just like it says, and God blessed the human beings, Moses blesses the children of Israel. Moses is fulfilling his role as kind of like agent of the divine. But nowhere does it say what the blessing is. And um, I have to share this with you because this was the blessing that we gave Rabbi Ellen last Shabbat. The Midrash, the rabbis, tell us what Moses' blessing is. And thus it is written in Exodus chapter 39 and 40, what we were saying. And when Moses saw all the work that they had performed, as the Lord had commanded them, thus did they do, that Moses blessed them, saying, now Moses didn't say, on the first day of the first month, shall you set up the Mishkan? That's the next verse, Karen. So with what blessing did he bless them? He said to them, May it be God's will that God's Shekhinah repose upon the work of your hands. I love that blessing. So if we are trying to make a home for God, then Moses' blessing is that may your hands, as it were, be God's hands. May the work, may, may, you know, may inspiration, may be filled with divine inspiration as you build this world into a dwelling place for God. Olam chesed Build a world that's made out of love. And then it says, and the people responded, and this is from Psalm 90. May the, may the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. The work of our hands establish it. And though this is not written in the Torah, says the Midrash, it can be discerned from the writings where it says, may your works be beheld by your servants and your glory by their children. We haven't studied Midrash in its primary text so much. So yeah, you're not that familiar with the way they talk, but this is, you know, explicated. A better translation was it, it, it can be, it can be discerned or pulled out. From, from the writings, even though it didn't, I know it doesn't say this in the Torah, but it says it. So, may the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us, the work of our hands, establish it. Okay, I squeezed in most everything I wanted to tell you today. <laughs> and, uh, and I like the way it paints a picture of like this, this really close, fine reading of the text that leads us to these um, big organizing concepts of the Torah, mostly around Shabbat. And then this idea of being God's partner. And then that, 
job, that, that lifetime of contemplation, how am I going to be God's partner in, in, in making this creation everything it was meant to be? How am I going to make it a place where God would want to come visit? Because God made us this beautiful place to live. Okay, thank you so much.